Okay. Just a moment. Om Ajnati Marandasya Yarandana Salakya Shakshuram Militam Yana Tasmai Sri Gurave Nama Sri Chaitanya Manobastam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Tadati Swapadantikam Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhanichananda Sri Adaita Gurada Sri Vasadi Gora Bhaktavinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Ja, um, I thought my topic for the day um, should be authenticity and uh, and the value of um, of it. Um, how much authenticity may we respect? maybe expect and how much we may not expect. Uh, devotional service has been uh, has been explained to consist of uh, two different categories, namely Vaidhi Bhakti, the initial stages of Bhakti, where one is uh, following rules and regulations. It is Vaidhi Bhakti. It is the process of a prescribed uh, behavior aiming to cultivate Bhakti. And then the next stage is Raga Anuga Bhakti. Raga Anuga Bhakti is the stage of devotional service which is driven by spontaneous attachment to Krishna. And um, so it is driven by a higher taste. It is driven actually by, um, by feelings for Krishna. Mm. So spiritual life is uh, is meant to be um, what shall I say it is meant to be natural um, it is meant to be um, it is meant to be full of love it is meant to be full of happiness and it is meant to be fully, be fulfilling. 
So that um, in the early stages of Vaidhi Bhakti may not always be so easy. Um, when we're practicing uh, spiritual life by, uh, a by following a process based on rules and regulations, uh, it means that natural impulses may be uh, controlled. Right? Um, a process of, uh, of um, spiritual absorption or absorption in the spiritual will, uh, will, will replace our natural tendencies. So that may not be the stage of devotional service of complete fulfillment. But nonetheless, even in Vaidhi Bhakti, uh, one can uh, one can remain inspired. There are feelings of being uh, of being inspired because of a of a higher understanding. One understands thoroughly that one is on the right path. One has faith in this path. Um, one believes that, uh, and one has no faith in the material world. One can see that material life may offer uh, so many uh, uh, temporary pleasures, but none of these pleasures are really fulfilling. Mm. Yes, yeah, so one takes up spiritual life with that promise of fulfillment. Intellectually, it makes sense that uh, as long as we direct our love to temporary objects or temporary relationships, whether it will be with humans or whether it will be with things that this love uh, will take birth, it will flourish and it will die. Mm -hmm. So that kind of, of, of love is, uh, is, is not desirable. But then the love that remains, that remains uh, throughout is then the spiritual love. Mm -hmm. So in Vaidhi, or in the process of uh, devotional service, which you follow according to um, rules and regulations, we have no faith in the material and see everything as temporary. And we do have faith in the promise, in the promise that such fulfillment will be attained. Um, because it makes complete sense to understand that Every living being is a is a part and parcel of the um, of the Lord of the Lord's energy, and as such, right, um, we have the opportunity to preoccupy ourselves with the energy of the Lord, which brings us suk and duk, happiness and distress, or we may. Uh, preoccupy ourselves with the Lord directly. 
And then the Lord is the unlimited reservoir of pleasure. He has, uh, he is Sada Iswarya Purna. He has all opulences in full. In other words, everything that is attractive, which we find that is attractive, all attractiveness exists within him. And therefore, uh, fulfillment is naturally found with him. And that all the efforts that we are making to find happiness in relation to the material energy, which is ultimately the energy of the Lord, is, is never going to be complete. But that completeness is only found in the relationship with the Lord. And so with great conviction, one engages in, in an external discipline, in, an, in, a, in a process uh, governed by uh, discipline and by a set of rules, and one is ready to go. I compare that to beginning a journey in a car driving at night on a country road without any lights uh, on a dark moon night. So there's really nothing we see uh, around us, pitch black, pitch dark. And all we see is the lights, uh, is, is shining on the road, on the white lines of the road. And the driver is fixed on those white lines. Uh, it's by focusing on the white lines that he can stay on the road. Otherwise, it is very difficult to figure, figure out the exact border of the black road and the, uh, and the black soil right adjacent to the road or anything looks black in the pitch dark so uh, but these white lines uh, they are are crystal clear and we and they are our lifesavers and we stay connected with them then as we are driving um, as we are driving, gradually some light appears and we begin to see uh, the daylight. And as the daylight appears, we're still driving between the white lines, but we also see more than the white lines. We see mountains, valleys, lakes, and other beautiful sights. Um, and uh, in this way, ah, sorry, in this way, we can uh, in this way we can uh, begin to operate on higher tastes. Now we're just not just driving by by the, the rules and regulations, by the white lines, but we're also driving and relishing while driving, ah, oh, how, how wonderful. Now we begin to uh, experience the wonderful uh, varieties of the spiritual landscape and some of the tastes thereof. So uh, this analogy 
is kind of describing how in devotional service, according to rules and regulations, Vaidhi Bhakti, uh, we're gradually coming to these, uh, yeah, coming to some realizations, attachment, attachment to service, uh, attachment to the deities, attachment to kirtan, attachment to prasadam, attachment to to the books. Uh, all these things uh, may uh, may be there. Yes. And and with it we feel that our our bhakti is becoming more real, uh, whereas more authentic. Whereas previously uh, we bowed down because it's it it's as a scriptural duty. Uh, now we're not only bowing down because it is a duty, but actually as an expression of our submission, um, of our happy submission before the Supreme Lord. We're glad to bow down before his greatness, before his kindness, before, uh, before his wisdom, before him uh, as, the, as the reservoir of love, um, before him as the embodiment of compassion. And in this way, um, this bowing down is very, um, very, very natural, very natural. So we can see how gradually devotional service becomes more heartfelt. It is said that first one becomes attached to the service and then one becomes more and more attached to the person behind the service. Krishna. And as one becomes more and more attached to Krishna and one starts to appreciate uh, Krishna's amazing qualities, the way Krishna is dealing with his uh, devotees and the way Krishna has, um, is arranging everything, the miracle of Krishna. Yes, then uh, one begins to serve with, um, with great eagerness. Hmm. And one comes to the beginning of serving the Lord with rag, with attachment. And one becomes a follower of, of those who are serving the Lord with complete attachment. Um, about devotees, um, the eternal associates of the Lord who are just completely cent percent absorbed in that service, who live for that service and for whom Krishna is everything. Uh, seeing Krishna is all they want to see. Hearing about Krishna is all they want to hear. Very much about Krishna uh, as and his wonderful 
features and qualities. So um, maybe we can look a little bit and see if we can do something. Um, oh, with the qualities, qualities, yes. So, a little document. We're reading a little bit at, at looking at some of the qualities of Krishna. Yeah. So, Krishna has 64 super excellent qualities. And uh, these are described in the Nectar of Devotion, and uh, also different writers have uh, done some work on this. Um, I mean, we may read Krishna is, uh, he has beautiful bodily features. Uh, Suramyanga. Uh, Krishna has auspicious characteristics. Um, Krishna is pleasing, Ruchira. And this is written by Mahanidhi Swami. Three, pleasing, Ruchira. The wonderful body of Krishna creates a constant festival of bliss for the eager eyes, Nayana Mahutsav, of, of the Vrajabhasis. The gopis used to relish the beauty of Krishna as a ceremony of perpetual enjoyment. Srimad Bhagavatam 9.24.64 Everything about Krishna is so pleasing and satisfying that a moment without him tortures the heart with a million years of pain. A blooming red lotus flower pleases the eyes and hearts of all men, be they prince or pauper. Similarly, seeing Krishna's body, which resembles the lotus flower in eight places, face, eyes, navel, hands, and feet, satisfy the minds of everyone. The special beauty of Krishna's body is his mild smiling, his restless eyes, and his mind stealing, singing, and flutes uh, song. May our hearts someday relish the unlimited pleasure of seeing the beautiful form of Shamasundra, while we chant his all-attractive holy name. Mm. Yes, Krishna's appearance is pleasing. Uh, his body is is pleasing, and his body is non-different from his very self. Uh, with us, the body is just the external shell. Therefore, how important is the body? It is the person within that is important. But in the case of Krishna, the Krishna is whole. Appearance is an expression of his pure consciousness, and that reflects in his body. Therefore, Krishna's beauty is uh, is is the beauty of purity, um, and Krishna's beauty is the beauty of um, of his his kindness. 
because Krishna is the well-wisher of every living being. And therefore, that makes it all... Uh, 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 a beauty that is... Uh, is there in reciprocation. Um, Krishna becomes more beautiful in the association of Srimata Radharani, of his lover. So these are all considerations. So it is natural uh, that beauty, um, beauty is, is affecting us um, in this world also. Um, beauty is, is, is something of great power, and it is astonishing uh, what men, uh, how much they can become affected by, uh, by beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just see a little bit if I can dig up some text. <clears throat> oh. Western. So now I'm look up beauty. So, Emerson is speaking on spiritual laws, not in nature, but in man is all the beauty and worth he sees. The the world is very empty and is indebted to this gilding, exalting soul for all its pride. Okay. Yes, the beauty is in man, That is certainly true, um, because the man is a part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. But the world is also part and parcel of the Supreme Lord. Um, However, the beauty in the material world is the shadow reflection of the original beauty in the spiritual world. So in this way, when Emerson says that the world is very empty, uh, then that is true. Um, we can look uh, at the example. I'm looking out of my window, and there's lots of grass, and it looks... Uh, uh, I'm looking at an orchard of apple trees and uh, on a grass meadow, and with some mountains behind, and uh, today uh, some clouds in the sky and uh, a bleak sun trying to uh, to kind of appear through the the clouds. So one might say, oh, that looks nice, that looks uh, peaceful, what you describe. Yeah, but not always, because um, there are so many... uh, Nature is full of cruelty. Um, There are... Uh, birds that eat eat worms or or small uh, bigger birds that eat small animals 
I saw a kingfisher eating a mouse once. And I was shocked. Uh, of course, they eat fish. Uh, but God, I just look out of my window. I see this mouse. And next moment, and I see a kingfisher on a tree. And next moment, the kingfisher swoops down and eats the mouse. And I was just shocked. I've seen many shocking things. Uh, in India, sometimes one gets really confronted with the, uh, with the more raw side of nature. Um, there was a dead dog lying in the street. And this hog, which also uh, roamed around in the street, came across this dead dog and in one bite bit off a huge chunk of that, of that dog, basically the lower portion of its body, and just somehow or other ate that. And it was just like, whew. Uh, it was a shock. So, okay, I can be, I can also appreciate that the uh, material world is full of, of uh, not just beauty. Um, I can also see, ultimately, going beyond the beauty of the material world, that it is fading beauty, and therefore, it's ultimately empty. It's like glitter, temporary glitter, or like bubbles, uh, bubbles in the ocean. Uh, what is their meaning? So that I can see. But there's also real beauty in the material world, because it is the reflection of the original beauty. But in Krishna, we find the perfection of all beauty. Um, then the beauty is, yeah, is in the eye of the beholder. It is in man itself. Um, there is the, the, the need for beauty. Inherently, there is a need for beauty in us, somehow or other. Uh, and yes, we, we, can, we have sometimes presented the point that where there's a need, there also is, uh, is an answer to that need. Just like, uh, I'm thirsty. So uh, there is uh, there's an answer to it. Uh, there is water. Yeah. Ah. So I'm enjoying this water. It is very tasty, and uh, because it naturally quenches my thirst, somehow or other. Um, this thirst, which plagues me, is then totally removed and relieved. So there's an answer to my thirst. Um, in the same way, uh, beauty, when, I, when one sees beauty, it is directly related to me. 
in the Bhagavatam, Srila Prabhupada describes how we see uh, um, how when we are in places of beautiful gardens with uh, beautiful uh, celestial type of birds like cranes and all these things, it is naturally um, awakening the finer uh, modes of goodness in us. Uh, whereas when we are living in a heavy industrial area uh, with concrete, then it's not surprising that, uh, that some are getting the urge to, uh, to put some graffiti on the wall. So uh, aesthetics are not just a luxury. Aesthetics have a healing effect on us. Aesthetics have a satisfying effect on us. Of course, we understand that whatever beauty is there in the world is the reflection of the origin and that all beauty is found within the Lord. So I've now spoken about the, the, our, our nature and how that nature is to be is satisfied in, in relation to the Supreme Lord and how that nature seems to, we, we appear to be programmed, uh, programmed for beauty. Uh, uh, so that's just amazing. We are programmed for beauty uh, and programmed in other ways. So this is, uh, this is important. Um, so when we speak about authenticity, then we are recognizing how we are programmed as, as living beings. And that ultimately we are programmed to, uh, to experience attraction um, to certain things. And uh, these things are, we all have in common. Right? Everyone is programmed in that way. And uh, this is our relationship with Krishna, which is a relationship which is uh, not artificial, uh, but it is a homecoming. It is a belonging. Uh, it is, we are, we are part of that nature of Krishna. It is also within us. Uh, that nature is also within us and, and we desire that. So this is our natural uh, position. So real authenticity uh, must relate to our true eternal nature. And any other authenticity related to something in the material world is, is maybe of a, te a temporary nature. Uh, hmm. Still, uh, how do we deal with that? Like, for example, um, music means a lot to me. Huh? 
I always have something, you know, some, some little something uh, to make music, to make noise. I have several, uh, uh, several apps that can make uh, some musical sounds. play uh, with these uh, these kind of uh, musical features and immediately we like it it is beautiful it is uh, it is pleasing it is something that is appealing mm. so that is how it is uh, these kind of things call out to our nature. Um, so we have an inherent nature, mm. an inherent nature towards uh, devotional activities. Mm. All that is found in Krishna because although this music may be attractive, um, Music originates in the spiritual world. It exists when Krishna plays his flute uh, and the gopis are playing other instruments. They are playing, uh, they are playing um, various venas. Uh, and some venas are, are really... Uh, producing a, a beautiful sounds uh, like I mean we can uh, try um, um, let me just quickly find a vena um, so they play venas they play different drums and uh, now I want to look at the sound of the Rudra vena Oh, there's an ad. First, we have to okay, turn off the sound. So, okay, one second. Yeah. Okay, now we're getting there. 
So this is a, a Rudra Vena, which is like having very deep, deep sounds. It's like much bigger than a, than a, than a, than a sita. Huh? You can see how he plays with huge balls. See? So these are kind of instruments that are not just from the material world. These are instruments that exist in uh, also in the spiritual world uh, and there are ragas Srila uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur quotes from uh, a book on music and is explaining that he says 16,108 ragas are spiritual and that begins with the uh, it begins with the gopis, uh, the gopis who are um, expert in singing and sing different melodies. And in the tenth canto, we are hearing how one gopi sings a melody and then another one sings in another voice over that melody and making uh, in, a, in more ornamented ways. And they are extremely skilled and expert in beautiful musical arrangements. Um, they have perfected these arts, and Krishna, of course. So not only Krishna is the uh, perfect flute player, um, but the gopis are also uh, playing wonderful, wonderful ragas. So when it comes to ragas, it is explained that uh, in that same text, that every living being uh, has its own raga. So you can't say that, that someone can't sing. They can, but some people can only sing in their own tone. They cannot sing in, in, in a harmony with other tones. But that's okay. That's also their own sound, their own raga, their own mood. But... Uh, it is explained that uh, then in the celestial regions um, there are many Gandharvas who are playing beautiful music and singing and their singing is for the glorification of superior beings like either Devatas or the Supreme Lord. Uh, in, the, in the celestial regions music is for glorification, right? And, uh, and that is what music is anyway. Uh, music is always meant for glorification. Yes, no matter what we do. We can also, uh, but we can use music 
for other other purposes to uh, um, to indirectly, for example, we can put some uh, ghastly sounds, you know, which uh, to to highlight the uh, the influence to magnify the uh, maybe the spirit of the uh, of materialism and in this way expose it um, so uh, that's also possible um, music can also be ad- abused to uh, to to bring people to uh, to evil deeds and so on but that is all lower uh, lower level type of application we're not interested at least I'm not. Uh, I'm looking at music to elevate, elevate the soul. Uh, as a, and, and seeing that in the higher regions of the universe, there is celestial music. And then in the spiritual world, there is spiritual music. So, so that is part of our authentic self. Uh, there's no, uh, no question about that. And, and therefore, music is essential in, uh, in spiritual practices. Uh, we see uh, sound is being, uh, is being practiced. Uh, um, there is something called the, the primordial scream, right? a philosophy about that everyone has a, a, a primordial sound which goes to the root of their being. And that when one chants that sound, uh, that it works liberating. Well, so we, we spoke earlier on about everyone having his own raga. And we could see how uh, there is such a thing as a particular uh, deep sound that uh, deep in ourselves that is that is part of our being, but that is not part of our eternal being. Uh, that sound is part of our conditioned being. Yes. Um, then there are sounds that are just uh, our, uh, that are just spiritual, descending to us from the uh, spiritual realm. So 16,108 ragas are spiritual. So once I was in, uh, in South Africa and a program was organized with, uh, with many people who were all yoga teachers or involved in some uh, alternative uh, alternative way and there was one group of people they were part of this uh, primordial scream a husband and a wife and they were um, they were speaking and they said oh he said this is this is amazing he said because they said everyone has his own his own sound 
And if you actually find access to that own sound, then uh, you become liberated. And I said, oh, that is wonderful, wonderful. Because we also believe in the power of sound. Uh, but in our case, we all chant the same sound and the same holy name. But everyone does that in his own individual way. And they said, wow, that's beautiful. Mm. I remember that program. It was a very interesting program. There were all kinds. Um, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, their, their, uh, their efforts, their reaching out to the spiritual dimension. Hmm. But Krishna is the full embodiment uh, of all that. So yeah, that is our interest. So the point is that authenticity in spiritual life is not about or naturalness, is not about uh, running after the lower nature. Oh. Uh, but still, something has to be there. Oh. We also have a body, and that body is also is made of, of nature. Um, it is related to nature. Just like here, the green, the green and the forest is the fresh air is rejuvenating. Right? And this afternoon, I'm going to uh, take a walk um, through that, uh, that forest to uh, get some strength. That is necessary. If I would sit here in this room the whole day, I would just become uh, uh, totally drained after some, after some time. So like this, we uh, also need to uh, follow our, uh, uh, yeah, our, the natural dictates of our body to an extent. But we also need to uh, need to control some of the pushings of the body uh, because they conflict with the spirit. Um, whenever we are getting too much authentic in following the nature of the body, uh, then uh, we may. Uh, we may lose the, uh, the spiritual, at least in the beginning. In the beginning, there is a necessity to control the senses. Oh. Mm. We have to first realign our interests and withdraw from the involvement with the lower modes of nature, the involvement with ignorance and passion. As long as the senses are addicted to things that come from the lower modes of material nature, then we're deeply entangled and, uh, and bound in nature. Um, 
what we eat, what we drink, how we sleep, how we act, all these things are to be governed by the mode of goodness. Um, so first, there's an effort to control whatever attachments we have to engage our senses according to the lower modes of ignorance and passion and get situated in goodness. And then from, from goodness, we can begin to serve Krishna. And from that blood, then we can fully serve Krishna. Of course, one can do service for Krishna even when one is in the mode of ignorance, but it's difficult to sustain because then the attachment to the mode of ignorance will take us away from Krishna. But when we are situated in the, in the mode of goodness, then uh, there we are uh, situated properly to, uh, to start practicing devotional service. At just one minute I have to open the door. So yes, this opens the door. Uh, this open the mode of goodness opens the door to spiritual life, and the lower modes of nature closes the door. Um, so although the mode of goodness is not transcendental in itself, it is a it is a path, or in the material world, uh, which creates a, a favorable foundation for spiritual life. So. Uh, we are then have come to a solution where we can bring material life and spiritual life into harmony. When we are engaged in the, when the senses are engaged in activities related to the lower modes of nature, passion and ignorance, then we have a conflict between matter and spirit. That is the situation. Uh, so, yes, then temporary enjoyment may be there, but no fulfillment. That is the difficulty. Yes. Um, tomorrow, I will, uh, um, after this kind of more serious talk, uh, I started to think about the uh, quotes of Woody Allen. I like Woody Allen. He is an, uh, he's an atheist to begin with and a challenging one. So, you know, I like these kind of challenges. Uh, so let me, oops, one sec. I'll, I'll quickly, maybe I'll just finish him off today. Uh, Woody Allen quotes because I mean, Woody Allen is a, is a witty person, right? He says all kinds of things, like, for example, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, 
It's interesting. Uh, uh, he says, I don't know the question, but sex is definitely the answer. Hmm. So yeah, these, these are, uh, these are all good, good, uh, good statements, smart, right? Very smart. But then in the end, yes, it just points to, uh, to material life. Yeah. You go like, okay, sex is the answer, but that's very shallow. Uh, that's not, uh, that's actually not the answer, Woody, because uh, it left us empty. It left me wandering around, uh, wondering, is this all there is? Uh, if that was the answer, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, uh, I am surprised with Woody Allen, that he still thinks is the answer um, after so many years. Because um, uh, I found that it could not, uh, it could not uh, fulfill or satisfy me. So I start looking, I start searching for something greater. Uh, yes, uh, not afraid of death. Mm. Yes, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a good line. I might use it in a Hiranyakasipu play. Uh, Hiranyakasipu, who doesn't want to, uh, who wants to be immortal, yes, and who is by word jugglery. Uh, when Lord Brahma says he cannot be immortal, then by word jugglery, he tries to be. So I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Woody Allen. Yeah. So it's like Irani Kasipu, who uh, in, in some way or other, by word jugglery, tries to circumvent death. Hmm. Yeah, of course we don't know uh, what he really thinks because he writes for an audience and uh, uh, if you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. Yes, all right. Uh, so let's, let's go with that. Yes, but then uh, what about God's plan? If we follow God's plan, then, then we will laugh. How about that? Hmm. 
Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, I will uh, have to... Yeah, just open. Just, just come in and don't knock. Um, yeah, the... Uh, so, we are uh, here. And... Uh, hmm. I gave a talk of serious reflection and I counterbalanced it with some uh, intelligent, witty, uh, humorous statements that are, however, uh, pointing clearly to materialism and clearly uh, questioning the, uh, yeah, the existence of the Supreme Light. My lecture has on a deeper level um, addressed that actually uh, that's all false. If we go for this lower nature in the uh, of passion and ignorance, running after sex or and so on, uh, then uh, we will not experience our uh, uh, any lasting fulfillment and. I've tried to explain how we belong with the Supreme Lord, um, how that's where we naturally are drawn to. And by describing the transcendental music, and in this way, we can uh, appreciate uh, spiritual life is, is authentic and not artificial. But in the beginning, it takes an effort to draw, re, to withdraw our attachments to the lower modes of nature. And that is where the struggle comes in, in the beginning, in spiritual life. All right. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.